Thank you guys for listening to the X Factor Open podcast. This is one I'm really excited about. This is a good friend of mine, Russell Davies, veteran, served two tours of duty, Army, 101st Airborne, Purple Heart recipient, started a nonprofit, which I ask you guys, please get behind X Factor Open. We are behind this 100%. This guy does an amazing job and has continued to serve his country and his fellow veterans and is just a great American and I'm, I'm really proud to, to have done this podcast with Russell. Don't forget there's uh, options to donate to him, to the PTSD veteran athletes and what he's doing. That is an unbelievable cause. So I just, once again, I really appreciate it. Also guys, don't forget to review us on here. One to five stars, doesn't matter to me. You let me know how you feel about it. We're always trying to give you good content and provide the best stuff out there. So thank you very much for listening. This is a little bit different. You know, we're going Facebook Live with it, uh, so it's kind of unique. If you guys join in, uh, this is something I, I want to kind of do moving forward. Uh, I've got one of my – man, we've known each other for a long time. We grew up together, Russell Davies with me, and, man, I've watched this guy grow up, and he was always uh, pretty pretty intense as a kid. And, and I, as I kind of watched him get older, I realized, man, he's, he's a real man, and, and I'm really not at the same time. <laughs> so – uh, but Russell, man, it's it's been fun to watch you grow and, and do some st- and just do some amazing stuff with your life. And uh, you know, served in our served in the military, 101st Airborne, two deployments, uh, recipient of the Purple Heart. Uh, a lot of uh, just a ton of work within the community and uh, and and kind of coming back from the states and doing a lot with veterans and and now the and started PTSD veteran athletes. Uh, is the founder of that and how long has that been going on for for now uh, this is our third year that we've been going strong yeah about to wrap up the third year third year man so i think that's what's so cool about this is you know i, I think a, a couple of years ago we kind of talked about it and it was just getting going and you had this i it was going but it was tough man you were you were it was a struggle to get get it off the ground and you had this great idea and and, and just to see where you've gotten and just a, a short time really in three years isn't that long and you came a long way, so I'm pretty excited for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been it's been definitely a work in progress. Learn more every day, you know. But you know, we got an amazing community that you know you're more you're familiar with as as I am. Uh, so we get tremendous support. You know, the community helps out massively, and so you know, it's just been a kind of learn as you go experience. But it's uh, it's really taken off, and you know, we've had a tremendous impact on veterans' lives, and so I'm just grateful to be a part of it. Man, I, I, I think it's awesome. So, and just so everyone knows, this is what's got me so excited. Uh, we got a couple of deals going on. Uh, the, the first aspect of it is me. I, I never served. Uh, and that's something that I don't know that I feel like I should have. But, man, I, I've always wanted to know, like, hey, how can I support our military more? How can I support veterans more? And I feel like there's this gap of, man, you don't really know, like, what to do or how to be involved and, and, and do things like that. And so that's when I started reaching out to you a little bit and like, man, what are some ways that uh, a X factor could get involved with and support and then me personally as well. So the, the two things that we have going on is from here on out, X factor roping will have a donate button on all of our Facebook posts. And so you guys, if even if you got to cancel your subscription to X factor, do it, donate some money. I, I we would really appreciate that. The other thing that we wanted to do is uh, for PTSD athletes, you basically take veterans on extreme like kind of like trips and teach them how and and have just been successful with this. But I, I reached out to you about doing some uh, roping and horsemanship clinics. So that's something that we're going to be putting together and going to have going on in the spring. We're working on some dates. Definitely Idaho is going to be one as well as we're looking into Texas too. So uh, I'm just pretty excited about kind of getting all that going, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're eager as well. Um, You know, we offer four primary sports as of right now, and that's, you know, whitewater kayaking, mountain biking, skiing and snowboarding and rock climbing. Uh, but we, we've, we've been interested in trying to look for other opportunities, other sports that we could add to it. Um, you know, we, we considered some hunting, fishing, stuff along those guidelines. But when you approached me about this idea, you know, I was ecstatic. Uh, I, you know, I don't have nearly the background as, as you do in, in the industry. But, you know, I, I grew up, you know, did a little bit of bull riding back in the day. Uh, and, you know, I loved it. Um, and so, you know, the idea of other veterans being able to, to, to fall in line and, and, you know, I know that they're going to be as, as excited as I am about introducing them into this sport. So, you know, I thank you guys for, for 
even giving us the opportunity. We're really excited. Well, man, no, it's it's going to be great. Uh, so uh, just a couple of things that we're going to be talking about a lot is PTSD. So can you just define that a little bit for our, our audience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, PTSD, you know, everybody knows that it stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, uh, everybody's familiar. They probably know somebody out there that, that struggles with post-traumatic stress. Um, and so our kind of flip on that was, you know, let's change the, let's change the whole um, derogatory, you know, statement of PTSD and make it something positive. So we actually called ourselves Professional Transformation with Sports Development. And uh, so we fly veterans from anywhere in the country for a fully funded two-week excursion um, in which, you know, we pay for their flights, their food, drinks, accommodations. And we also not only just give them a glimpse into a different lifestyle, we actually give them all the gear necessary for that chosen sport. So for like instance, you know, the mountain biking class, which starts tomorrow, you know, these vets will arrive, we'll take them from not knowing anything over the two weeks, get them to where they're extremely proficient with it, comfortable being able to do it on their own. And then when we send them back, we send them back with mountain bikes and helmets and goggles and knee and elbow pads, gloves and shoes. So, you know, we want to really ensure that that these veterans go back with every, you know, option, every every piece of equipment necessary so that they can continue this newfound passion in their lives, you know, and, and uh, you know, it, it worked huge for me when I first got out of the military and we've had tremendous success seeing people's transitions as they come through our program. Um, and so we, yeah, we just, we love what we do and the vets, you know, they, they want to keep coming back. We haven't had anything, any negative feedback whatsoever. Every vet that participates in a sport wants to jump right back into whatever's next. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been awesome. Um, you know, we have a nationally recognized data survey that just shows, that this isn't just a weekend escape, you know, and there's other other nonprofits and stuff that do that. But, you know, like I said earlier, I just don't understand the concept of showing somebody in a, a far better lifestyle and then turning them, you know, right back to, to the situation that they were already in where they're struggling. So, yeah, that's kind of the main gist, the quick rundown of, of the nonprofit PTSD. And so, yeah. Okay. Well, and, and one thing, uh, I, I definitely want to get a, kind of dive into to your life in just one second but one more thing that I, I i think is so unique and i never understood this is with ptsd and the stress that basically comes from it's a traumatic experience and a usually tied with the adrenaline rush and and things like that that's happening and so you basically how i understood it with you is anytime you kind of get in an intense situation and it can even be a a dream or right. something extreme happening like a whatever it is and your blood starts pumping and your adrenaline starts flowing and you you almost you kind of have a flashback or a traumatic experience tied to it right and so what you're doing is basically taking an extreme sport that takes a lot of mental focus and gets that adrenaline rush and tying a positive experience with it like mountain biking kayaking Team roping is not as not as extreme, but <laughs> no, uh, man, it is. It definitely <laughs> but, is. But you know um, that that's kind of that aspect of it is really unique. Uh, that because you're basically, and I, I don't know if there's like a, a, what type of science is back behind this, but you're kind of rewiring your brain to understand like, hey, it's okay to have this adrenaline rush, and it can be fun as well. Right. No, absolutely, and that's exactly right. You know, um, I'm a firm believer that. Yeah, I mean, PTSD, you know, affects everyone, um, you know, and so I've met tons of veterans that are like, oh, I don't have PTSD, you know, but they carry a gun on their hip at all times, anywhere they go. And I'm like, well, did you do that prior to the military? You know, no, we didn't. And it's, you know, that there is you doing something as a direct reflection of the circumstances you dealt with in a combat zone. And so, you know, it, I think one of the biggest things is, you, you know, it's, it's not so much that the, you know, guys struggle with the idea of having to come out and say that, you know, you're struggling with post-traumatic stress and, you know, it's, it's okay to ask for help. You know, that's the main thing I want to get across is, you know, it's, 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 nobody is going to frown down on you for, for looking for help. Um, and so, what we try to do is, and what we've been doing is, you know, you have these traumatic experiences that really affect the way you operate on the regular. 
Um, and, you know, it's been tried and true at this point. If you can flush out traumatic experiences with new, thrilling, exciting ones, it's like you said, you almost rewire your brain. So as soon as something happens, like you said, that gets, gets you amped up and you're, you're heart pumping and racing and stuff like that, what we do is we try to make, sure, make it so that your mind immediately goes back to almost more of a positive you know, reflection of, of, a, of an intense experience. And so, you know, that's, that's our main correlation between the two. You can almost flush out those old traumatic experiences with new high intensity, you know, heart pumping raw adventure. And so, yeah, that's, that's basically our whole concept behind it. And yeah, you know, we've, like I said, it's, it's worked. I was a little worried, you know, when I first did this, I was kind of worried, you know, I knew that it worked for me when I first got out of the military um, and you know, if it wasn't for getting so lost in extreme whitewater kayaking, who knows where I would be. But yeah, when I first, first, you know, fired up the 501 C3 and started bringing out vessels, I was like, what if this is just, you know, doesn't work at all for everyone. Like it worked for me. And, and I'm just, you know, so relieved to see that this is actually therapy that's working across the board from military members of all different branches that have seen and experienced all sorts of different you know, environments and traumatic experiences. And so it's just been refreshing and rewarding. Yeah, man, I, that's, that's pretty awesome. All right, let's dive into the military experience because you got a very real dose of it and, uh, and signed up at 18 years old, right? That's right. Yeah. I jumped right in right when I, I tried to join when I was 17. My mom was like, no, you can, you can wait another year. Uh, so they wouldn't sign my release waiver. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's a wake up call for sure. You, you know, you're as ready as you, as you think you are with an 18 year old mind, you know, and pretty soon you're like, holy hell, what did I just do? Right. Um, you know, it, it was, it was crazy going from, you know, living under your parents' roof to pretty much having, I mean, you thought your life was hard growing up, you know, <laughs> and your, your parents were strict. When you get drill sergeants and you start training, you know, it doesn't take you very long to be like, wow, this is this is real. And, you know, I went infantry, uh, front lines. I wanted, you know, I figured if I was going to join the military, I wanted to see what was going on on the front lines. Uh, so I, I selected, you know, a job that I knew had extreme potential for being injured or killed. Um, and you know, you just start training from, I, I remember one of the biggest things, you know, was stabbing lifelike silhouettes of humans, you know, with bayonets attached to a rifle. And I think that, already you know take an 18 year old kid and and you start training them you know to be to kill and capture it's uh you know your mind is already just being entirely redirected and you know the military is good the military's got got it dialed in on how to train somebody to be be combat effective um but yeah i i you know before my 19th birthday you know i got stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, with 101st Airborne Rockassons, and uh, yeah, before my before my 19th birthday, I was in Iraq, and so, you know, not only is going to a third world country just extremely eye-opening and devastating, uh, but being being 18 years old and having to make you know decisions that end lives is is huge, you know, and I think that if most people can try to grasp just for a moment. The idea of having to be on such a high alert, you know, you're there, we were there for a 15-month-long deployment. We lost guys the first week we went out, um, and you're just thinking, holy hell, you know, like, we just lost some guys, and we got 14 more months to go. I don't, if at this pace, I won't make it home, you know, and so all this is going on and you're trying to deal with what's going on at home and, you know, you got family issues and, you know, you're out of the loop and, you know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, I would say 80% of majority of people that go into the military come out of deployment and lose their spouse, girlfriend, or significant other. Um, and so, you know, you're just dealing with a mass mix of emotions and trying to stay focused on the mission and do what has to be done. And so, you know, it, it was it was definitely intense. Um, I remember the first time I had to engage the enemy and the first time that I got shot at. And, you know, that was that was huge. Yeah. You know, you train your you, you train all day, every day to go into these situations. But once it occurs, it's it's full on. Um, and, you know, it's that is all impacting your mind. You know, it's just 
and, and, and that's not a downfall and, and to, to have to sit there and, and beat yourself up because you struggle with these types of circumstances. I think that, you know, majority of people can understand why, you know, and, and another thing is, you know, in today's society, it's almost taboo to, to speak about these circumstances. And, and from the civilian side, you're told, you know, never to ask, you know, a, you know, a soldier what they've, what they've had to endure. And I think that that's part of the problem. You know, you need you need to be able to talk about these things, and you need to be able to let it out because, you know, far too often we're seeing guys that don't, and uh, you know, ultimately ended up taking their lives. And yeah, you know, I can go as as far into the some of the experiences as you'd like, or well, um, you know, we can. Man, what I'm kind of curious uh, to to kind of go with some of the experiences. So, uh, basically, deployed at 19. And you said it's just complete cultural shock. So what was what was the couple of the biggest things that you remember just getting there uh, first arriving? Was it right, Iraq first? Iraq, yep. Iraq first. Yeah, was was you know, I think one of the biggest things I remember, you know, is like I thought it was going to be you know like you see in the movies and you hit the ground running and you're under fire as soon as you land. But you know, it's a whole process. You go to Kuwait for two weeks to like acclimate, and then. From there, you go to like Baghdad, and from there, you get like a helicopter to a fob, a different fob to another fob to like finally you reach this tiny little middle of nowhere, you know, place that you're going to be living for 15 months or operating out of, I should say. Um, but yeah, not having running water, you know, majority of these people have no running water. Um, that was huge. The poverty is extreme. You know, some of the, you know, like when, for instance, mentally challenged, you know, young kids and stuff like that are almost abandoned entirely when, when they, you know, once they recognize that, you know, and so you would see some, some horrendous things of like how the culture, you know, used those types of kids in, in a lot of circumstances is, um, you know, as a human bomb, you know, they would put vest on these kids and and try and try and enter your fob and detonate themselves, um, and so that was that was big, you know. No, every no sewage systems whatsoever. So every every place you went, you know, this was a hole in the ground that just you know pretty much piled out in front of their their mud huts. You know, they didn't have a lot of places didn't have electricity or anything along those guidelines. And every day those guys, you know, were just struggling to live. You know, it, the 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 amount of hunger that those people were facing was was devastating. I mean, it was, it was, it was sad. Man, that's, uh, that's crazy to, to hear and, and think about is, you know, going, you know, going there and you're thinking, oh, it's going to be real clear, like, at least right. how I would understand it, like, hey, this is, this is who we're fighting yeah. and this is what we're going against. But the actual elements in the culture and that, that aspect is, man, that's, that's got to be tough. So it is. Uh, yeah. During your service, uh, especially when, at this time, what, uh, What's your job detail? What are what are you in charge of? And right uh, during Iraq, you know, I was a private. You know, I was uh, bottom of the food chain. You know, so you're stuck with all the details from uh, you know burning your own feces because you don't have any any type of sewage as, as well. And so you know you got a mix of good old 50, 50, 50 You know, diesel fueled and sit there and stir human feces to you know to get rid of it. Everything is burned over there uh massive burn pits you know um so you're in charge of like you know sparking these huge fires and getting rid of pretty much anything that's not of necessity um you know the like they want like paracord like you know if if we do like a, a dumbo drop where you know a, an airplane flies over with resupply and they just push it all out the back door and then we go collect it up these people are so desperate for even the materials the pallets the ropes the parachute cords you know, are desperate for it. Like, that would be essential. I mean, they need that stuff. They don't have access to even that type of simplicity, you know. And so, and we weren't allowed to give it to them, you know, we were, because it could be used for, for making IEDs or trigger wires or things along those guidelines. So it's just so hard to, to want to help so much and not be able to. And you're trained that, it, I mean, any, any individual that is old enough to hold a firearm can be potentially a combat enemy. Right. And so, you know, you would see... 13 year old kids, you know, firing away at you and stuff like that. And, and then all the way up to, you know, elderly 60 year old men. And so, yeah, just trying to define who's enemy and who's not was probably one of the trickiest, trickiest parts of our jobs. 
And so it was just astonishing to see how they would engage us with absolutely no repercussions as far as injuring their own people. There were so many times that they would try to mortar our fobs and miss so badly that it would land all over in the city and kill their own people. And it was, it was devastating, you know? I mean, they would, they would bring their injured after their, their, own, their own people, you know, just injured them and try to come to our bases so that we could provide them aid. And, you know, it's, it, was just, it was just tough trying to figure out who's friend and who's foe. And yeah, after, after Iraq, uh, you know, came back home and got about nine months, nine to 10 months before we were re-outfitting to deploy again. Um, and I originally joined for three years active and I was gonna do five inactive. You have to join a minimum of, of eight years, um, but you know, you get to kind of determine how much is active and how much is not. Um, and so I did three, I was like, I'll get a feel for it. Um, but there's a, a, a thing called stop loss and a lot of people aren't familiar with that. And that's where the military actually extends your active duty service defined as needs of the military. And so what they pretty much do is they tell you like, oh, well, we don't have enough guys. And so you're going, going to Afghanistan, right. uh, which was fully my, my intentions. I had already knew it in my mind. You know, I came back, I became a team leader. Um, you know, where I was in charge of three individuals and training them to, to get ready for battle from everything that I had experienced in Iraq. Um, and then a squad leader, you know, where you have eight guys under you and, and stuff like that, and your job's to maneuver them as a fighting element. Um, and, and when President Obama came into office, he actually abolished it, and that was about a week from deploying. And so it went from being ready to go to them being like, you have to get out. There's no other options. And there was just no way I could do that. I couldn't take guys, train them for a year, and, and tell them, you know, best of luck. I taught you everything I know. So I re-enlisted for the, the minimum two years and extended, extended my contract um, just to go to war with these guys because, you know, I felt, you know, if it wasn't for my squad leaders and, my, and the leaders that I had in, in, in Iraq, you know, it's hard to say if I would still be here today. And so I wanted to utilize that knowledge. And so, yeah, we, we went, to, went to Afghanistan and... Afghanistan was uh, chaotic. It was extremely intense. It was fighting all day long. Um, the amount of boots that you have on the ground in Iraq, they knew they could only fight with you for, you know, 10 minutes or so before your quick reaction force was coming or air support or helicopters or anything like that. In Afghanistan, we didn't, we didn't have that. Uh, we were stretched so thin. We, there were times we couldn't go out on missions because the vehicles that we were using were all dismantled and blown up so we were combat ineffective and couldn't roll out of the gate with vehicles so then we were stuck being on foot and some days you would go you would go for a whole day in firefights with the enemy back and forth you know and, and people are getting injured and it's hard to even get a nine line medevac called up to get them out of there um you know specifically one of the times that i can really recall is we did go out on patrol we had trucks um and the lead truck that I was in with a platoon leader and, and four other individuals uh, struck an IED, you know. Um, it was weird, I don't, know, I don't know how I wasn't as injured as the other people. You know, I was in the back doing the wrong thing. I had my, my helmet off, eating a can of tuna, and you know, I thought our driver drove over a cliff and I quickly realized that that wasn't the situation and uh, as soon as I jacked down the back door uh the enemy you know lit us up with a complex ambush and had the high ground because we were stuck down in the valley um and so my main priority was just you know getting the injured to the medic uh some of them had sustained some pretty pretty intense injuries life life-threatening injuries and so um managed to carry all four of those guys to the medic so you could start working on them um under fire and then had to return back to the downed vehicle because that was where the 60 millimeter mortar tube was. And I knew that that was probably our only chance of, of getting out there, or at least, you know, not sustaining a drastic amount of more casualties. Um, had my machine gunners redirect fire and made a sprint for that and got the mortar tube and just, you know, made it rain on, on where we were taking contact from and either killed or they broke contact. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was pretty awesome to, I, I ended up getting an Army Commendation Medal with Valor or a V device attached for going above and beyond and, you know, saving the lives of 26 people is, is how, they, how they 
you know, detailed the award. And, um, so that's just, you know, a badass, a, a certain, <laughs> a certain, yeah. Like, you know, just a, a that's one day, you yeah. know, being out there and it's every day. And even when you're sleeping, you don't, you don't get asleep because you're constantly, there's mortars falling into your fob and you're constantly trying to redirect fire and everybody's pulling their job. And you, a lot of times you're on, you, you know, you got to pull security around your fob. So, you know, you're extremely limited out there. So <clears throat> how old were you when that happened? Uh, that would have been when I was 21. So 21, 21 years so, old. Yeah. I was a complete ass when I was 21 years old. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I probably was too, uh, you know. <laughs> but, man, I, I think that that's, that's what's so eye-opening to me is at that age, I mean, I remember where I was at in my mind at 21 years old. Right. And the amount of training and the ability to operate like that is, I, I mean, I couldn't even understand it. Like, here I am, but my mindset, I'm trying to work at competing under pressure at a roping. Right. At a rodeo. Right. And, and, and do that. And when I hear that, I'm like, man, uh, how, at what point in time is there any, I guess it would be like called fog of war or whatever, you, uh, what, you know, just how are you able to operate at such a high level so fast? Or did that fall back on the training or was that from, you know, maybe right off it was like that for you, but in your second deployment? Or what, what do you yeah. think actually helped you get to that point where in those intense situations that you could, hey, this is right. what needs to happen and actually does it go back to training? Yeah, you know, I would say that's that's a difficult question because, you know, when when crap hits the fan, you know, it's weird. You see people operate in different manners. Um, you know, you see people's real colors and, you know, you'll see people that are just face down, you know, pretty much just praying that this ends positively. Uh, so as much as credit as I will give the military, absolutely. You know, they definitely, like I said earlier, they, they train you. I mean, you're training all day, every day, nonstop for these types of situations and, and stuff. But I really think that a, a huge thing that made a big factor in in me was, you know, coming up and growing up, you know, like my parents pretty much allowed me to play any and every sport. They, you know, they were great parents. They, they, anything that I wanted to get involved in, they would help me get there, football and baseball and basketball and, you know, a, a small amount of rodeo. But, you know, I think that through that, you really gain a lot of being able to operate under those pressures, you know, as opposed to a lot of guys that have never been into a circumstance you know, that where you have to be completely focused and dialed because, you know, either your teammates are relying on you or you just want to win, you know, um, I think plays a huge role. And I think that that is what causes a lot of different outcomes with how soldiers act on the battlefield under those circumstances. Uh, so between, you know, the sports that I was already involved in and, and you know, kind of let my parents kind of just let me have free reign and be a wild child. And so I think that, you know, I just knew that, you know, if it has to get done that, you know, I mean, if, if you lay down and, and hope that it, that it ends, you know, it could be the end of your life. And so I would rather, uh, rather make every attempt and, and getting back home, you know? And, right. and so, you know, I think that it's just a trigger. Some people are extremely good at operating under those pressures and, and, you know, I would consider myself one of them and yeah, I would, but that's, that again correlates exactly in the tie of, why veterans can make such outstanding athletes, you know? Right. I mean, you're working under the most extreme right. situations from, I mean, just from living to, to actually like going out on patrol and, and different missions is what's asked is unbelievable. And, and to work as a team yeah. is also, a, that's an amazing thing uh, that I, I'm so fascinated with is the, the teamwork and just like that, the training, I mean, you, Reenlisted, essentially, right? Yeah. For reenlisted. Uh, for the, four yeah, more two years, two more years. years on top of the three, yeah. So. And because of you train these guys, right? And, and they're brothers. I Absolutely. Mean, yeah. And where do you think that? What does that come from? And how do how do you get that camaraderie? That you know, base that where you you know a brother, right. a brother or sister, like right? That. No, absolutely. I mean, you quickly, you know, it's it's your family. You know, it's it, the ties are just as close as the bonds are formed for most people in their family. I mean, you have your ups, your downs, your wins, and your fails, and those ultimately, those people are there for you. You know, I mean, there's, like I said, beyond just the the crazy amount of like 
you know, combat experiences. You have guys that are dealing, you know, with divorces or their wives back home cheating on them or, you know, they have their general power of attorney and are just blowing all their money and, you know, and so like you, you really rely on one another to, to boost morale and boost spirits and, and get back out there. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it essentially, you know, you, you eat, sleep, shit and breathe together you know the entire 15 months that you're out there that's all you have like you spend eight hours a day in guard tower with one individual you pretty much know all their, their entire life within that eight hours now you got to come up with something else for the the remainder of the 15 months so you know and you realize like how i i give so much credit to the military because it breaks down any type of racism stereotypes any type of things you may have thought in the past that were relevant, you quickly realize or not, because it doesn't matter that person's background or what they came from or who they are, you know, that's the person you're relying on to save your life and to pull their job. And so, you know, you just form the most intense bonds. That's, you know, when you lose that after getting out of the military, you know, I think that that's a real, one of the real struggles that a lot of veterans face is, you know, you're so familiar with having somebody that that's been there for you through thick and thin. And so, you know, I think that's a, that's a, that's a huge contender with, with the amount of, of stress that veterans deal with when they get out. So when you got out, how old were you? I got out when I turned 23 years old. 23 years old. Yeah. And you've obviously been through an extreme amount of, uh, of just have a lot on your shoulders and, and a lot of asked of you. And, so what's the first thing you do when you get home? You know, I mean, or not right. the first thing. What's the game plan when you get home? Yeah. And what's you the know, game plan for most vets? And I think that, you know, that's, that's, uh, that is the question. <laughs> you know, I think that that's, that's the main thing that you, that I think causes you to kind of really spiral out of control is, as you know, I, I lived it with my parents, you know, until I was old enough to join the military. Uh, you know, that's, that's where food and money came from with your parents. You know, you go into the military, that's where food and money comes from as a military. Now you're just like, what what is real life outside of anything you've ever known? You know, like, where am I going to live? Where am I going to start making some money? And, and so you are extremely lost, you know, and I think that everybody falls into the, 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 the standard scenario that's, you know, really pressed on everybody through the media and, and things along those guidelines. It's, you think you need to build an empire. You need to be successful. You need to make millions of dollars. What looks great, you know, from everything you've known outside of any, you know, your own personal requirements. And, you know, so instantly you start searching, searching for a job and, you know, you run into situations because, you know, you're at 23 years old. Most kids are still doing exactly that. You know, they're they're living off their parents and, you know, they're paying for all their college. They've never experienced, you know, a. Uh, you know, anything even close to, you know, uh, what I like to call first, you know, you know, <laughs> they haven't experienced any type of problems like, you know, other than their parents aren't, you know, are cutting their allowance back. So, you know, with that and going through school and, you know, you're not really fitting in and, you know, your, your mind's probably a little warped, you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of times when you're in combat, what you find, you know, the best way to get through a terrible situation is to try and laugh about it and make the best of it and stuff like that. And so, you know, you, you quickly realize that you're like your mentality and ways of thinking are, are drastically different than, than the outside world. And so if you don't go back to your hometown and you don't have those true friends that you relied on in the past, you're just lost. Uh, I think that's kind of one of the biggest things is you're just lost. You don't have that support system. You don't have your family. You don't have your old friends to talk to your brothers are all doing the same thing or they're still in you're wondering if you made the right decision you know and you know you start leaning leaning towards everything the military taught me and that's like drinking and fighting and you know i i made a couple mistakes when i got out uh gotten some scraps and you know paid some paid some days in jail and you know i luckily realized you know how unhealthy that lifestyle was uh so i kind of actually redirected my entire attention to to what was it that you know gave me true happiness when I was a kid before I even knew all this and that was you know one of them was whitewater kayaking and camping and stuff that I was lucky enough to be involved with my family and you know I kind of just decided I'm going to take two years to enjoy the freedom that I've spent the last five you know fighting for and and just pursue something that makes me 
want to get up every day. Right. And so I, you know, jumped into the kayaking industry and put all my attention towards that. Like saw a video, didn't know people were running huge waterfalls and kayaks. That, that was even a possibility. Uh, wanted to get there and just, you know, set a goal in my mind. Sponsorships followed. Pretty soon I was getting to go all over the world to places like New Zealand and Thailand and, you know, Nepal and Chile and stuff like that with, and just for whitewater kayaking, you know, and just being lost and, and seeing the simple lifestyles and, and beautiful countries that aren't, you know, war torn. And it was just extremely eye opening and therapeutic, you know, it, it kind of, I guess the best way I could sum it up is it allowed me to change the chapter of my life. It was time to stop thinking and dwelling on the military and looking back on the past and, start really focusing on the future and the potential that it has and that you know it's it's not about making millions of dollars it's about doing whatever it is that makes you want to get up every morning right and i think that man i i don't know where you come from like on a, a spiritual aspect of it but I, I believe that we all have certain things that we love to do and that's put into us and i think that following your passions out and right. and if you live that the right things happen for example, Absolutely. sponsorships, traveling the world, getting to see these things, and 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 then I think you know the you make these contacts and start building these relationships, and they grow into other things. You know, like one extreme sport kind of leads into another, which you you're telling me about earlier. Like you might get into Absolutely. you know what might be next, like mountain biking or something. Yeah, like actually, that, you know? yeah. I actually bought a fly rod, looking to kind of like to you know switch gears a little bit and and find something that still allows me to get lost in the moment and totally be, you know just fixated on on whatever it is that you're doing in front of you and stuff so that's kind of my next one but you know i think that that's that's essential you know um i think it is looking for what it is that you're passionate about like you said and really pursuing that if you put all your efforts towards that anything that you're interested in you'll find others that are as well um and so it's really just you know looking for you know where where do you start you know and that was that was kind of a big issue, you know, with the PTSD thing is when I wanted to start whitewater kayaking, there's not a lot of people out there really pushing the boundaries and kayaking, you know, over hundred foot waterfalls and stuff. You know, it's not like the city softball league. You can't just go sign up and meet other people invested into it. And so I was lucky enough to meet an individual that, that you know, was part of a kayaking team based out of Washington. And, you know, I up my roots and just moved out there and kind of got lost into it. And that, you know, other than just the sports, I think that, the camaraderie, you know, like you said, it's when I was meeting these other individuals and I was a new guy, you know, I was, I was the private, I guess, you know, is the best way to say it. And right. you look at the river, like it's your battlefield, you know, you like you have a route and how you're planning to planning to approach it and conquer it. And quickly you can be thrown offline so quick that it kind of just has you, you know, scrambling to, to ultimately try and get to the bank or, or something before, you know, your, your life's in danger. And you quickly realize that like, you know, these guys that, have no military experience we're putting their life you know on the line to rescue mine and so building those bonds and that type of foundation through extreme sports it's the community too you know the lifestyle the community and the sport is a a small percentage of it you know but really it's just reestablishing that 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 it's time to make time for yourself and to meet other people that you know you really can lean on and they'll be there for you and when you need them right Man, I, I think that's so, so unique and, and that's tough is the military mindset is you, you know, you're, you're going to war with your brother or right. your sister. You're, you've got to trust this person, right? Yeah. And then you've come, you come back and how do you trust a civilian, you know? With the, yeah, and, and for so, sure. And it's really hard to relate to that person. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's a, it, it works both ways. It's on me as a civilian and you as a right. veteran and, and, and to making sure that, you're doing what you like in this life and you're living out your passion because I think that that's when that those bonds just become they, they start building and, and that's how things evolve like I, I mean I, I to kind of move on to the one of the next steps with your life was I, I think there was a moment uh, just from just doing a little research but one of your buddies uh, a good friend of yours took his own life and and that was kind of the the, the moment when it's like hey this is Right. We're not doing, I can't do this. Like I got to do something about it. Absolutely. And, uh, and is, is, yeah, that, is that how it comes together right there between the extreme sports and yeah, you know, I kind of, like I said, I lost myself in it entirely. Um, and I'd met 
you know, a few select individuals that were veterans who had experienced some pretty chaotic situations. And that was always a talk. No matter what sport I was doing, whether it was kayaking or mountain biking, when I met another veteran, that was a conversation that arose every time was what, you know, if every veteran could find this, the amount of people that would be, you know, that could find this is therapeutic and a way to escape and, and really let go and change the chapter of their life and, and stuff like that was always a conversation. So I actually started a, just a, a Facebook page uh, in the beginning to try and highlight these other guys that were out there doing it in hopes that it would inspire other individuals. Um, and I had a, you know, one of my good buddies, his name was Chad Cook. He, like we joined the military together even, and, you know, when he got out, he was ex- struggling drastically um, and so he was a huge supporter, you know, he, he was always telling me about how, how awesome it was and you need to get this going and get it off the ground and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, he, he just, I guess, you know, he just fell into a bad spot and unfortunately, yeah, he ended up hanging himself. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was definitely a catalyst of, all right, there's, I can't keep dragging my feet. You know, you look, once I started looking into it and seeing that, you know, 22, veterans a day are killing themselves I was just astounded I was you know that's that's something that I needed to change and I felt that I had a a good solution and so yeah that was that was really the biggest thing where you know as much as I love the sport and being able to travel it I knew that you know it I wanted to introduce other veterans and give them the same opportunity and put them on the fast track to be able to get where they wanted to be so that they can move forward with their lives and, and get over the, the stress that they were dealing with. Right. And, and I think that's what's so unique, especially about extreme sports. And when you do research about essentially mindfulness and like meditation and, and how good it is for, for people. And the thing about extreme sports, when you look at it, you're living in the moment. And, yeah, absolutely. and I mean, if you're kayaking, I, I've never done any of this, but <laughs> I can only imagine you're not thinking about what's going on tomorrow or what had just happened. Like you cannot live in the past or, or the future. You have to be living in the moment and you have to be on point. You got to be focused Definitely. for that, uh, for that time period. And, and so to, to be able to do that and focus for that long is essentially mindfulness and living Without in the moment. And, and that's really one of the true essence essence of life. I, sometimes I make up words. Too, yeah, no, but, I do the same thing. We'll, but, we'll uh, catch them here and there. <laughs> but uh, man, uh, just living in the moment. And I think so many of us fall under just stress and worrying about bills and worrying about things that really don't matter because you can only do what you can do at that moment in that right. given time. And and then more importantly, if we're doing things that make us happy and that makes sense to us that we can get up in the morning for that's when it's that's when it makes sense that's when it gets us excited even if it is a nine-to-five job because it pays for the the weekend trips to the wherever and and do that it it makes sense but uh i think that that's what i i think so unique about it is with with the extreme sports as well is that is that what you find in a lot absolutely i couldn't agree anymore with that you know it's I think that, you know, every every one of us kind of has a little bit that, I mean, the more you push the boundaries, the more that it almost becomes ingrained in you, you know, I mean, it, it almost becomes a part of you. And, and, and that's part of the fun is not knowing. And I think that you teach yourself really rapidly that not knowing is, that's life, you know, I mean, you, you got to, like you said, you got to be in the moment and you just got to let whatever unfolds unfold. And, you know, hard work and dedication passes, passes or pays off. And, and stuff like that but at the same time if you're not making time for yourself and you're not you know like you said the 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 whole chain redirecting your mind entirely you know is is huge i think that that's one of the biggest things that helps with the the extreme sports is you know i would rather be getting up when the sun's coming up instead of partying till the sun's coming up right you know like my idea of of going out and raging and and feeling like death the next day because, you know, I went out and, and was partying and, you know, that's what I was considering fun at the time um, to like, no, I'm, I want to, I want to drink some water. I want to get some early sleep. I want to be up. I want to be on the river. Like that's, it just became a part of me enough that it, I was willing to change everything that I knew prior to and, and completely get lost in it. And so, you know, just 
you just got to have that passion, you know. I mean, like you said, even if even if you're working your job to do it, that's the light at the end of the tunnel is that, you know, you can you can bust your bust your balls all the way until the till Friday, but you know as soon as Saturday and Sunday comes, you're calling up your buddies, you're loading up the trucks, you're throwing in the climbing gear and you're headed out into the mountains and you're just going to get totally lost on that wall and so yeah, I think that that's essential, you know, and and those focus points become more and more essential to your daily living. You're, you know, it truly teaches you that you're capable of whatever you put your mind to. And I think that, you know, that's that's the correlation that a lot of vets are missing when they get out. Right, man. I, I think that's that hits it really hard. Is is that aspect and that mindset? So moving forward with with this idea, you know, you've got the Facebook group, and you and when does it all kind of come together? When do you, when do you start to? When's the the moment like, hey? I'm just, I'm F it. I'm just going to go for it. Right. Um, yeah, I was bartending at that time, working a, a job um, at the old local Pocatello Sandpiper here. and Best steakhouse um, in Pocatello. For sure, dude. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I was, you know, I was so lucky. Like, people people in the community were, were wondering what was going on. And, you know, I, I had talked about how I was looking to get this off the ground. And, you know, I was so lucky to come across a gentleman by the name of Garn Theobald, um, and he was uh, the owner of RNG Potatoes. Um, and, you know, he basically came in and sat down and was like, you yeah, have a great idea, and I think that it, it's definitely going to take off and have a mass amount of success, and I want to help you get there. You know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, appreciate right. it, thanks, you know, and kind of like, you know, disregarded it, you know, and... I'd had people in the past be like, you know, I'm, I have so much money, I'm the solution to all your problems, you know, and so, you know, I just kind of blew it off, and one day he came in and sat at the bar, and, you know, I was like, you want a menu? And he was just like, I'm here strictly to talk to you. And he's like, you know, all I need is a business plan. If you put together a business plan, I can help you take this to where you need it to be. And I was like, I have a business plan. That's perfect. So I actually just like, yeah, just, you know, just that trust went over. Dropped it off, said it looks great, what do you need, you know, and, you know, gave me a substantial donation right there, you know, and we weren't even a registered 501c3 at that point, you know, he just did it purely out of the goodness of his heart and then took me to his accountants and his attorneys and, like, had all the legal work done and really just, like, sped the whole process up, you know, without him, you know, him and his wife, Deb, like, there's no way that we would be where we're at today because they are the you know they are we call them the mvps the ptsd mvps because they contribute a solid amount of money they've helped us out since day one and they continue to help us out and so you know it was that was kind of the moment i decided that you know once i found somebody that was you know believed in you i guess really right you know it's something goes from a dream to a reality that quick when you find somebody that that's already built a business from the ground up and is like, I know how hard this can be. And so, you know, it was, it was just awesome having, have, you know, being blessed with that guy to come into my life. And so, you know, that was, once that was up and going, you know, it was kind of like, well, let me contact some buddies and find out, you know, what's some of the problems that they're facing, you know? And a lot of it was, like I said, not knowing anybody involved in those sports and to like financially, you know, extreme sports, is expensive for sure. Not everybody has three or four thousand dollars to invest into it. You know, as much as it would benefit you, it's like I got bills and I got you know a right. family and I got mouths to feed. And so, you know, we just started. I just started going back with a bunch of buddies that I knew that were struggling and trying to get every detail and make sure that we had a solution to it. Um, and then put it all down and told them to come out and started booking flights taking them through these programs, they'd go back, they'd tell all their military buddies, pretty soon they would tell, you know, we'd do another batch and it just rapidly grew extremely fast, you know, just from word of mouth. Cause you know, you, when your brother or somebody that you served with overseas recommends something, you know, you don't just blow it off. You can see an ad on a billboard, you can see an ad on a TV, you know, or YouTube and you're just waiting to click the skip ad, you know? Right. And, uh, but when, when somebody that was there and, and you knew, really well tells you like this is worth it and this changed my life and you should do it you know it's just had a ripple effect that's turned into a tsunami you know like it's you know we got so many veterans registered to participate now we're just looking at 
ways to expand. And so like, you know, the, the, the work's never over, but it's just so gratifying, you know, seeing that these people really just changed their whole lives into a 180. And All right, man. So was, was one of the aha moments or one of the most rewarding moments when, uh, uh, when you went kayaking in the Grand Canyon with the oh, five man. blind veterans, for sure. Like, hey, hold on. This um, we will have the YouTube link of this up on our post and stuff like that. This is amazing, but dude, you got you got to tell this story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I was actually doing a kayaking thing with a, a film company called Oscar Mike, and they hired a behind-the-scenes photographer named Seth Dahl, who's also a veteran. And I kind of knew because he was a whitewater kayaker, and so he already had experience, so he was an easy pick. And he started telling me about a gentleman by the name of Lonnie Bedwell and another nonprofit organization called Team River Runner. Um, and he, you know, he started telling me about, you know, this guy's entirely blind. He just needs somebody to guide him. And he's been practicing and practicing and practicing. And I was like, that's beyond inspiring. I would, you know, I would love to be a part of that. And so. Me and Lonnie started, you know, running various whitewater across, you know, the country, uh, getting gradually just stepping it up and stepping it up to, you know, getting them extremely proficient. Um, and, you know, also being, you know, able to guide somebody completely based on, on you know, focal commands, you know, it, that, that all takes a tedious amount of time and effort to, to figure out what works and what doesn't, you know. You don't want to find out something doesn't work down there in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Um, so, yeah, you know, just that, that military kind of like, you know, cohesion where, you know, you're, you're pushing people towards like, oh, you're doing this. I've heard of something similar. Let's team up. And, and then, you know, so I volunteer with Team River Runner as much as possible, an outstanding nonprofit. Um, you know, they're strictly revolved around getting wounded veterans uh, involved in kayaks, whitewater kayaking. And so we actually work kind of hand in hand, you know, when they got a guy that really loves it, they're like, sign up for this program. And then you can, they can take you to wherever you want to go. And also you'll be able to get the full setup. Right. Um, so yeah, me and Lonnie and a guy named Aaron Howell, um, a Marine who stepped on an ID, lost both his legs, um, and sustained injuries. So pretty much lost all of his hands. He has a thumb on one hand and a finger on the other. Uh, you know, they got him into kayaking. The three of us combined uh, went down the Grand Canyon, you know, uh, this was two years ago. And from there, it was, you know, like it lit a fire in every one of us. Just working with that type of teamwork and stuff like that was just outstanding. And Lonnie being the amazing person that he is, you know, he's reaching out to, a, you know, he just starts a whole, I think it's called the, the visual clinic, I believe is what he, he calls it. And so he starts looking for other veterans that are interested as well. And, you know, they're like, you're crazy. I'm blind. And he's like, yeah, so am I, this right. is possible. And so started working with five blind veterans, um, and progressing them to the next level all for, you know, last year we ended up going down the Grand Canyon. I believe it was with like 24 veterans total, um, five of which were blind. We called them pods. You'd have about two or three individuals, um, to navigate, each visually impaired veteran and you know it that is by far probably the best trip I've ever had in my life you know there's some challenging white water down there but you know it's it just really goes to show like you know if these guys you know and some of them are blind and some of them are blind and amputees and some of you know like everybody almost on that trip had been injured in some form but like that goes out the window and you're a team again and it's life changing and just begs the question, like what's stopping you? You know, like these, these are why these programs exist, you know, and, and far too often you see vets that are like, oh, I think there's probably somebody else that has worse PTSD than me or has been injured worse than me that could use this slot. But, you know, that's of course a veteran's way of thinking, you know, and that's not the case. This is why we're here. That's why Team River Runners out there. That's why there's other nonprofits that are looking to help you just have to make that first step of getting off the couch, registering, and just let it take a hold of you and hang on. You know, that's that's really it. So, but yeah, that that trip, outstanding. There's actually another video coming out here in the future. I'm not supposed to say anything about, but it's gonna. I got a little breaking, glimpse of it. Breaking news. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be. It's gonna be good. So, man, I, I think that that's. It's it's unreal to think about kayaking. I mean, and these guys when they're kayaking. They're, it's a one man deal. Right. They're, they're in it by themselves, sure, yeah. 
and they're following voice commands, and it's it's unbelievable to think about the teamwork that has to go in that. Absolutely, and I, dude, that's that's pretty. Everybody's inspiring. the same on the water, you know. When you watch the film, you're like, well, which person's blind? You know, yeah. you're like, they're they're just incredible athletes, and they've they've learned to adapt and overcome their injuries, and you know, that's what I said. You know, it's what's stopping you. You just gotta you just gotta take the initiative, get out there, put yourself in that situation, and. And, and hang on you know like like so many other circumstances you know you that's all you can do like even you know with with your guys's uh team roping you know you have that person you're trusting them 110 percent. you know you know you got to work as a team and you know that moment right there everything's silent i mean it could be a packed arena you know but in your mind and you just got tunnel vision everything else is blocked out and it's just like when you when you put yourself in those situations it's just an I mean, you astound yourself at what you can do. You just got to put yourself in the situation. Right. I'd like to debug a question for team ropers. Yeah. <laughs> do you ever uh, make excuses or blame someone else in the team? Not at all. No way. You know, I would, I think that, I mean, just like anything, you know, everybody has their on days and everybody has their off days. And, you know, it's everybody, it, it, there's no sense in beating somebody up that gave 110%. You know what I mean? Um, I think that like if you go out there and you do your best whether you win or lose you know I mean that's ultimately just gives you that much more experience for the next round whatever's coming next and so you know I mean obviously I guess the situation can differ if they just right. went out and partied and don't even show up <laughs> you know that's, yeah. that could kind of go, fall on them but yeah other than that yeah you know I just think that's just part of life. Sometimes you win and sometimes you fail, and you just got to get back up and keep getting after it. Sure. So, man, uh, being a civilian, <clears throat> and we've kind of talked about this earlier. You know, there's there's this gap between, oh, what do we talk about, or you know, how do you how do you do that? What are some ways that you know that you I mean that maybe you felt like either awkward or just like coming out of your service uh, that civilians or what you would have like you could have used. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, I think that really it doesn't take much more than being a friend. Uh, you know, if you if there's that veteran that, you know, always kind of seems like a loner or when he does talk, you know, he, he's kind of like weirding people out. You know, I mean, that you got that guy's life has been, you know, sleeping in the middle of nowhere, Afghanistan for the last like, you know however many years and so of course his, his mentality is going to be a little bit different than yours but I think if you just if you just reach out and you know if you're there just to be an ear that's huge because you know you gotta uh, you gotta establish uh, those friendships and, and you'll find that like you know maybe when you hear him out it's like well I'd be struggling too um, so I think you know invite people along I think that you know people you know, it's, that's, you know, like I said, you don't know where to get started. And so you're not going to be like, you don't just invite yourself. So, I mean, it can be as simple as just saying, let's go grab a beer, grab a bite, you know, and just like starting, you know, everything kind of just steps, is stair-stepping, you know. You, you you get to where that person might actually open up to you, trust you, and, and for all you know, you might be saving that individual's life, you know. So, you know, I think it's just imperative to, to interact and, and accept them for who they are and and you know I learned a lot from the civilian side of things like going out with those you know those guys that I was kayaking with and stuff like that you know like it, you take away cell phones and you take away modern distractions because you're you know you're engaged in something productive and then you're sitting around a campfire and you know you could for all you know you didn't bring enough food and everybody rations it out accordingly you know just similar to similarities to the military you know and they you know you can learn lots from soldiers is, or veterans and, and veterans can learn lots from, you know, kind of just being reintegrated back into a normal society. You know, I mean, all you knew before was like the guys that you had to your left and right. And so, you know, they're, they're going to pick up and, you know, uh, progress as well. They're going to realize like, you know, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate and kind of, you know, like, uh, get a better understanding to, to social norms and, and, and utilize that in their daily life. So, you know, I think, you know, if you, if, if you have the opportunity, just help a veteran just by simply, you know, 
talking to them and you know you'll and and everything can grow from there and you know if you're super inclined you can you know volunteer for programs like ours and and other programs so you can donate money you can you know there's there's so many ways but i think like the most simple and easy solution is just to if you know a vet ask them if they're okay you know and take the time take the time you know don't don't say it in passing you know sit down and and actually have a conversation right go get some go get a beer too yeah exactly go eat some dinner yeah. yeah yeah let them you know still everyone will slowly open up and friendships will be formed support systems are, are there and you know it could go either way you know it could be you calling them to right. help you out in a tough time and it could be them calling you to help them out in a tough time but either way you know everybody has their struggles and trials and so Oh, I think so. And that's, that's the biggest thing is we're, we're really, we're all in it together and yeah. we're trying to, you know, get through it and, and make the most out of it. And I think that's really important. You know, one, one other thing that I think a lot of us are curious about, obviously with, with this, you know, your, your foundation and it's going to be pretty available with X Factor Open, but also what, what's a good way to, you know, you hear some bad things about charities and all of that, you know, how do you try to, how do you recommend to someone to donate or to donate their time, how to find a, a, the right type of organization to get involved in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's actually a handful of ways. There's actually nonprofits that are strictly there to debug nonprofits now. Um, they look, they go over all their financial statements. Everything has to be reported to the IRS, you know, so you can actually find out how they're spending budgets and, you know, the percentage that goes to the cause. Um, another thing is to ask a veteran. If that veteran, you know, has been involved in a program or a program has helped him specifically, then you already know, like, okay, well, I know, you know, this has helped someone, you know, and it is helping people. Um, You know, I've heard, you know, a a huge thing for a lot of people is start with something, you know, smaller, uh, more grassroots than something on an extremely large scale because, you know, when you look at their spending costs, they have, you know, X amount of dollars, you know, just for advertising and, you know, things that are, are, and don't get me wrong, are essential, you know, for nonprofits to grow and there has to be a budget for it. But, you know, like us, it costs us about $5,000 per individual that we take through our program, you know, and so I'll be damned if I spend, if, if we have $5,000 and we can bring out one more vet before I, I worry about advertising, you know, that's one more guy that we could help potentially, you know, save the life of. And so, you know, I think that that's like a lot of people's strategy, starting small, I think the best way is to ask a veteran and, you know, even if that veteran hasn't been helped specifically by a nonprofit, they know of probably another veteran who has. Um, and, you know, it kind of just depends on, you know, what speaks to you. You know, I think that that's kind of the biggest thing is like if you want, you know, we have, a, we have a huge success with the outdoor industry because people, you know, that obviously rock climb and kayak and stuff like that are like, I know how much this means to me. Right. And I know how much this can alter your life and, and your and your you know, the, your way of thinking. Um, so you can almost look up nonprofits that are strictly involved in whatever you're involved in because that's a huge part of your life and you want to make sure that somebody else has the opportunity. And so, yeah, those are those are a handful of ways that you can definitely go about it. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the best way. Ask a vet, start out with someone small that you could definitely use the funding and, you know, that, that isn't making, you know, half a billion dollars in donations <laughs> annually. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, man, to kind of let people know, where do we find you? You know, Instagram, Facebook website, all that. If uh, we want to reach out to you, where, where's a, where do we find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, our Instagram, Facebook and websites all pretty much the exact same thing. PTSD veteran athletes, um, com, or, you know, that's our Instagram handle. And if you Facebook search PTSD veteran athletes, it'll pop right up. Uh, click the like button, follow along. You'll actually be able to see all of our past classes. Uh, we do videos of each one so you can see that, you know, just how much these guys are, 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 are not only like doing it in the sport, but how badass they are because they tolerate me somehow. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and you can also donate through there. Um, and, you know, you, you, but we, we do pretty good at keeping up on our social media outlets as far as being able to inform the public that, you know, when you do donate, uh, your money is going to, to the mission. 
And right. so, you know, it's it's an awesome way, and it's cool to see all the vets that are, that are coming through and participating. We highlight each one of them so you can see the amount of vets that, that we're working with and, and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it, ptsdveteranathletes.com. And all that information will be on our posts. It'll be on the podcast. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, wherever, X Factor, watching yeah. the videos, we'll have links to all yeah, this as well. So yeah, look for it. You could, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'll see some team roping out there. Yeah. And, uh, and some future events with you guys, which I'm looking forward to too. So thank you guys so much for doing this yeah, as well. We're, we're excited so, like, to start planning those out. I think it's going to be really cool. I, I know that there's been some veteran clinics and stuff like that that we've been involved with. And so right. I just wanted to put it on a, a bigger scale or just uh, offer it up even more so i, I thought for sure i'm man, eager i'm, I'm eager to try it myself dude <laughs> so so we'll see yeah i look forward to it and like i said you know uh, you can find it on our page and and we can find it on yours but yeah the support is incredible and i can't thank you enough for everything and so appreciate right, it man. well i appreciate it thank you all right brother